Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome yet again to another episode of Skull Rock Podcast. And if it's your first time listening, thank you so much for finding us. Every week, we talk about all things Disney, we talk about pop culture, never before heard stories of some of your favorite moments from film, cinema, animation park attractions, performances, books, music, and so much more. I am your co-host, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars fan, and podcaster, Al John Go. And you can contact me, email aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm your other co-host, Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, including iHeartRadio, as well as like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Uh, you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Well, Al John, here we are. It's already March. Where did January and February go? I can't This year it. is starting to shoot by. I'm glad it is, to be honest. I can't yeah, wait. I, I can't wait to get out of the winter doldrums and welcome in spring where we can hopefully everyone get their shots and everybody can start enjoying life again. Yes, it will be the Roaring Twenties once everybody is vaccinated, that's for sure. I can't believe it. Uh, I mean, we have so much to talk to, and we have a great guest. We have uh, uh, Christy Maltese, who's a background artist, uh, color stylist, art director, visual development artist. She's going to be our guest on the show today. And and just coincidentally, because uh, it, it March is Women's History Month, mm-hmm. so I, I was uh, I was happy that uh, it worked out this way that we're having Christy as our first guest of the month. Serendipitous, is it not? It is. I it like is. It. I just, like it. just like my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, Women's Month, uh, we can talk about some of this news. Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. 8.6 million, Dave. 8.6 million for Raya and the Last Dragon, number one. Uh, I never thought I would see a day and date when 8.6 million was a success. Well, it was not only number one, but I mean, for crying out loud, being touted as a, uh, you know, opening weekend. uh, (laughs) I honestly, uh, to me, this is a movie that probably should have opened to a hundred million dollar weekend. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing about Soul. We could say the same yeah. thing about so oh, many yeah. of the uh, other films. Any of these films that were released during this pandemic, it, it, it's crazy. But um, it, it, it's really kind of an interesting thing because there's a little friction between Disney and the movie theaters. Right. Well, uh, movie theaters are just not going to be, it, it's just not going to be a good thing, you know, right now until they, you know, people get back and feeling confident about uh, re-engaging in social activities like movie theaters, right? So the film, which ended up getting glowing reviews at CinemaScore, um, received $8.6 million, a very soft opening uh, for it simultaneously streaming there uh, as a premier Disney Plus access film. So you have to pay a little bit more for that, just like you did Mulan, or you could go see it in theaters. Um, 
So there you go. You know, Tom and Jerry just uh, a week or so ago scored fourteen point one million uh, earlier for more, uh, for Tom and Jerry, which is a very cute film. Yeah, so. and uh, I mean it's it's unbelievable that that would do uh, more. You know, I mean it's doing like five or six million dollars more than uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. I don't I was know what's surprised. going on there. I was surprised to be quite honest, and I don't yeah. know if it's because of the media blitz that Warner Brothers put on where Disney, I think, may have been hedging their bets in comparison, you know. So we can say that Tom and Jerry did a great 14.1 against whatever uh, their budget was in terms of, um, you know, post-Super Bowl, you know, moving and and how much the money they spent. So that would be an interesting comparison. But um, once again, here we go. So Ryan and the Last Dragon, uh, you know, you made a lot – not too bad. I mean, really, you know, when you think about it. Uh, overseas, though, uh, they debuted at seventeen point six million dollars from being in thirty-two markets. Um, you know, which is not too shabby. And, no, uh, not at all. But listen, you know, uh, Disney CEO Bob Chapek came out and said that the relationship with cinema has changed forever. Uh, and, uh, that was, uh, from business insider, uh, com, And, uh, I think he's right. I, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is that I think it's changed from the standpoint. And I've said this for many, many years, 80% of the movies that Hollywood makes, you can watch on a good home entertainment center. You know, if you have a, a good home entertainment setup. Uh, large flat panel, good sound system, you know, any one of these rom-com movies or, you know, uh, smaller films, you can watch those uh, at home uh, on demand. Uh, And I think the cinemas are going to be reserved for the big tentpole action movies. Yeah. I specifically built this house pre-pandemic. We moved in. By the way, this is a celebration. I've been into this... been in this home now for a year it's been a year congratulations yeah we moved in at the end of february last year i made sure because you know Kristen and i are huge movie fans we we made sure to build our downstairs with just the right amount of you know um you know home theater fun and excitement because we knew we'd be spending a lot of time here and little Mm -hmm. did we know the pandemic would mean we are spending 100 percent of our time here you know so um but yeah i mean you know, look, I, I, I just have to say, I mean, you know, any one of the Marvel movies or Star Wars movie or the DC films, you know, those are films I really want to see on a big screen. Uh, I, I have to say, Al John, last week I, I watched a Greyhound, Tom Hanks's movie. He wrote mm-hmm. the screenplay for it. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's based on the uh, battle for the North Atlantic during World War II. And I, I must say that was a great movie. I enjoyed it, regardless of some of the the critics' uh, comments about the film. I thought it was a really well-done film. I enjoyed watching it. The only thing I would say is I wish I had seen it on a big screen. That yeah. was a movie I wanted to see on a big screen. And uh, and that's that, to me, is how cinema going is going to shift. I think people are going to be much more selective on what they are going to go to a movie theater to see and pay money to see uh, at a theater. One of those quotes from that article, Dave, uh, was that Chapek, Bob Chapek said, um, 
that uh, viewers would no longer accept a gap between theater and on-demand releases. Do you believe that's true? Can you put the genie back in the bottle now? You know, I think it's going to be very difficult. Uh, if they want to, they will. I mean, look, uh, let's put it to you this way. If, uh, if Disney is going to release a Marvel movie that makes a billion dollars at the box office, yeah, they're going to hold it back a month or two before it goes on to Disney Plus. I think they have to uh, with that kind of money, you know, and and the cost of some of those films, you know, when some of those films are costing 175 or 200 or even, you know, more than 200 million dollars to make a film, they need to be bring in big box office. Uh, and the only way you're going to do that is letting those films out to movie theaters and then delaying the release of that film onto the streaming platform. Mm-hmm. That's what it boils down to. Now, look, you may, you may put the movie out, uh, you know, the first of March and let it run for four weeks in the movie theaters to, to make your billion dollars and then put it onto the streaming platform. You know, that, that gap is going to close uh, and it's going to be much shorter uh, for sure. But, you know, again, uh, there's certain movies I'm just not going to watch on a streaming platform because I'm not going to get the entertainment value that I'm looking for that, you know, compared to going into a uh, movie theater or an IMAX screen. You know, some of the some of the big action films, you know, some of those Marvel films, I will only go see it on an IMAX screen because I want that full experience. It seems like it's going that way. Um, you know, I know that... Uh, Everyone's talking about the new Mission Impossible and and a bunch of other great action movies. I mean, you wanted to go see James Bond, uh, you know, yeah. on those big big screens, and I think it's going to be great. I, I'm hoping that uh, we do see a lot of these films get a re-release um, during the time when uh, you know the movie theaters are open again. So that's just something that we're going to have to pay attention to. I believe, like you, Dave, that these films. Uh, do need to be released on the big screen. And I think that people will want to go out there and see them. They'll, we'll see them again. And if the, if the content is good, they will go out and see it. And I think that, um, you know, people will, and I think Disney can re-release both Avengers last uh, Avengers movies to the box office to bring people in and make theaters happy uh, because they want to see them. They just want to see it. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you 100%. But also, hey, let's let's face it. Everything's going to start to reopen. And what do we got going on uh, out here in California? Uh, Disneyland versus Governor Newsom. And uh, really what's going to wind up happening now is that the amusement parks in California are going to start to reopen uh, at the beginning of April. So, so for everybody out there listening, Disneyland is going to reopen probably at a limited capacity, but it's going to reopen, which is fantastic, along with all of the Six Flag Parks, Universal Studios, uh, you know, San Diego Zoo and you know, Legoland and all of those places are going to reopen. They're going to start to reopen in April. And I think that's just good news for the economy. It's good news for, um, you know, for people to get out of their homes. Yeah. I mean, there's evidence it says during the last week of uh, February, 27% of Americans say they felt comfortable returning to amusement parks, which is, 
you know, pretty good news because guess what? When they open, they will be at about 25% capacity, <laughs> yeah, I right? Know, it's I gonna, mean, it's so. going to be like 25, 30% capacity, yeah. which actually will be really nice not yes. to have to battle big crowds. Well, know? well, speaking of that, now this is a side note. We talked on my wife's podcast, um, Dining at Disney, and we talked about it on uh, the Disney List podcast that I also co-host that the touch of Disney event happening there in Anaheim, uh, there at the Disneyland parks, it's sold out. It's sold out in in minutes and people, you know, this is a hard ticket event, of course, right. And you go there and you can buy food and merch and everything. You get a parking included and it's sold out in minutes and they're adding more days. So what does that tell you? Uh, guess what? The parks and people are ready for them to open. Absolutely. You know, they're voting with their dollars. Yeah. And, and and you know what? People are going to be flocking to them. And I think that's great. Uh, More and more people are getting vaccinated. I think by, you know, May, June, pretty much anybody who wants to be vaccinated is going to be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all of these places are going to reopen and they're going to slowly start to creep up capacity. And I think it's fantastic. fantastic. One place that's not going to have the capacity, though, is the Disney stores in North America. They're closing 60 of them. It's the the retail story that tends to always just come back and 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 Disney doesn't really know what they want to do. Well, and they really now they know what they want to do. They want to close them. You know, to focus yeah, you know, on this online. Is, this has been the craziest story, Al John, because I have to say, you know, they uh, Disney opened the Disney stores years ago. Then I think under Michael Eisner's reign uh, as CEO, they ultimately sold all the stores to Children's Place. Mm-hmm who operated them for several years. And then Children's Place sold the stores or what was left of the stores back to the Disney company. And then Disney invested heavily in redesigning and revamping those stores. Uh, And now here we are, they're going to be closing them because they want to focus more on retail, uh, uh, the e-commerce retail, um, and, and not so much on regular bricks and mortars. But I think they're missing a big opportunity here because I think that the Disney stores could turn be turned into some really great experiences, you know, destination kind of things where people can go and they can, you know, book cruises and, you know, book uh, vacation club uh, trips or buy into the vacation club. Uh, There's so much more that they can do and they have to evolve these retail stores into destination experiences. Uh, That, that to me is what has to happen i agree uh now there are uh 300 disney stores worldwide and 60 of the north american stores are going to close to focus to online activities i don't know how many of those um those stores in the united states are gonna close uh you know you you look at 60 of 300 worldwide and of those what i guess is it all of them Dave, is it all of them? Because it's a very interesting, I don't know what that means. You know, out Well, of the they're, they're basically saying that they're closing 60 stores in North America. So if they have 300 stores worldwide, I mean, obviously that's 20% that they're closing, but they're, they're closed. They're targeting the stores that are in the U.S., in North America, primarily the U.S. And, and I have to say, you know, this is, this is the age old story that's been going on where retail is just crumbling, uh, shop 
shopping malls are, you know, going to go the way of um, Dodo Bird. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, they're 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 sort of. I, I I look. There's a town center near me, you know, a shopping mall near me that I have not stepped foot into the main portion of the mall in probably now a couple of years. You know, I've gone to some of the restaurants that are on the periphery of the mall, uh, but I haven't actually been in the mall. And, and and so there's a big sea change going on in retail that uh, is going to go on for some time until they figure out how to make those shopping malls uh, destinations for people, you know? Uh, And that's really what it boils down to. How how do you track people there? How do you make it a destination? There's there's an awful lot of ways of doing it. uh, And some of them are more successful than others. And it's going to be a slow transformation and a slow evolution. And there's going to be a lot of shopping malls that are going to drop by the wayside and be, you know, turned into something else. That's true. That's true. Well, Going back to streaming, it looks like one of our favorite shows, Dave, The Simpsons, is getting another renewal for not one but two seasons. I thought this was fantastic. You know, I, I mean, look, it's all about the writing. Uh, it's very topical. And uh, I have to say, uh, who doesn't love the, the Simpsons? I, I'm a huge fan. I think I've seen almost every single episode amazing, Dave. more than once. That's amazing. More than once. You see, I, you know, between The Simpsons and I can't fault people for liking them. You know, Kristen and I are Family Guy fans. Because we yeah. love we love that edgy you know edginess and and South Park, so it's good to see that these animated shows are continually uh, showing that they have legs. And congratulations to the team because once again yeah. it is a great great property and great uh, great storytelling. Speaking of great storytelling, Dave, I know that uh, Wandavision had its series finale uh, this past Friday. And, and it crashed it, the system again, didn't it, it? It crashed the system, and once again, you know, uh, I have to say that. Congratulations for a great storytelling. Uh, I have to say that I was a big fan of what they're doing with the show. And um, I can't wait for more Elizabeth Olsen uh, in the MCU. And hopefully the rest of the family and uh, villains will come back too. And by the way, I have to say, Jimmy Woo, Randall Park is just, I think he's going to be the new Phil Coulson uh, of the MCU. Because he's just too good to... To, to okay, don't give too much away because I still have some catching up to do well, on WandaVision. Well, 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 you've you've seen WandaVision thus, uh, you know, some of the episodes. Maybe you're halfway there, but you know, Randall yeah, Park. I'm, I'm halfway through. I'm halfway through. It's the year of Randall Park because not only was he great in Ant Man, he's great in the new NBC show with The Rock, uh, The Young Rock. Uh, Jimmy Woo is just he is. The guy. And of course, um, you know, Fresh Off the Boat was a, a great TV show too for ABC because, I mean, yeah. what up, Asian represent? You know, got to, got to, you know, Asian represent. And Absolutely. Randall Park is just a, great. So I can't wait to see your take on WandaVision. Uh, Dave, when it's all finished uh, for you. Uh, I'm going to try and get through it this week and we can talk about it next week. How's that? Great. Let's do it. And also a big, big shout out to the MCU team because uh, we didn't, we didn't touch base on this, but they did reveal the new Spider-Man name uh, for the film, Spider-Man No Way Home. And it's going to tie in, it's going to tie in with WandaVision and Doctor Strange uh, Multiverse of Madness. So I can't wait to see how the multiverse is being served in the MCU. 
Fantastic. There you go. Well, this is, I mean, there's, there's so much great stuff. And I, I just think that there, there's going to be a tremendous uh, amount of people wanting to get the heck out of their homes and go to movie theaters, go on cruises, go on, go down to Disneyland and Disney World and the other parks out there. And, and really sort of, uh, like I said, it's going to be the roaring 20s over the next couple of years I with people. Wait. Yeah, it's going to be fabulous. But, hey, I think we need to get to our guest because uh, we have her waiting in the green room. And uh, I think we should uh, jump in. Let's do it. Christy Maltese, it's Women's Month, so let's celebrate with another awesome female animator. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Oh, Al John, I am so thrilled to have our next guest, Christy Maltese, with us. She is a key background painter, a visual development artist, an art director. She's somebody I've worked with for many, many years in the in the business. She worked at Disney. She's worked uh, at a bunch of different animation studios. So I want to welcome you, Christy, to the Skull Rock Podcast. How are you doing? Dave, it's an honor to be with you. I am just fine this morning. Thank you very much. Happy to, happy to talk to you and Al John this morning. You know, I got to tell you, Christy, uh, all the years that I have known you, I had no idea that you worked on the Smurfs, the Flintstone Kids, and Popeye and Son. I well, really, I didn't know that. What's the story behind all that? So actually, I'm not even sure if I worked on Popeye and Sons. I, I'm not sure about that one. Well, uh, I, it's, like, it lists you yeah, as doing IMDb. 13 episodes. Yeah. yeah I, it's, it could be I just don't remember. Or I, I could have done, I don't know, something on one of them that was reused in several others. I don't know. But my first job in the animation business was at Hanna-Barbera. So yes, I painted a boatload of Smurf backgrounds. Um, the first background I ever painted, the first thing I ever painted was a overlay. It was uh, on the Flintstones and Dino the dinosaur was supposed to be running away from camera over a little hill but there wasn't anything for him to run on. It, the hill was there, but there wasn't a little pathway. So I had to take a cell and paint an overlay of a little pathway, which basically uh, consisted of, you know, a couple of coats of one color of paint in a semi little arc thing. And that was it. That was the first thing I ever painted. I just felt like I was so, so I was just thrilled. I was thrilled. That is so awesome. That, that yeah, is my that yeah. is my Saturday morning I right a there. Lot of, yeah, a lot of Flintstones, a lot of Smurfs. We painted the Jetsons was still going on at that time. I think um, Johnny Quest was still, uh, it was being aired somewhere else, not here, um, but they were still producing it. Um, so so it, was like, it was kind of like a boot camp for background painting, wasn't it? Because it was. It was. Hannah Barbera was a, well, Hanna-Barbera was a boot camp in general for, for the animation process. It was a fabulous place to start. And thank you, Al Gamir. Thank you, Marzette Bonar, for uh, being out on uh, maternity leave. And Al had to, you know, had to replace her with somebody. And I was at the right place at the right time. Um, 
But let me ask you this question, Christy. How did you get to that place? Like, were you painting when you were in high school? Yeah. Did you know you wanted yeah. to get into an art career? Like, yeah, what, like most of us. Yeah. Yes, like almost all of us that I have met in the animation business. I was always painting, you know, painting, drawing, something. I was always, I was, you know, there were two or three kids in every class who everybody knew were the artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was one of those. And I do remember my mother, um, not really freaking out, but I do remember her uh, talking about my crayoning on the hardwood floor. So, yeah, my art, my art career went way, way, way back. But, yeah, I always wanted to do I, my uh my goal back then in high school was that I wanted to illustrate children's books. And I went to Art Center, went through their illustration program, didn't hear one word about animation the whole time I was there. The, the head of our department was, well, in the first place, animation had basically, that was at a time, it was in the early 80s, and that was at a time when animation was really struggling, you know, really on, on hard times, had fallen on hard times, and Disney was, you know, on the verge of breaking up and all that, and um, so I didn't even think about animation at all. It didn't even, it was not on the radar. And a friend of mine that I went to um, Art Center with, Steve Lubin, uh, after we graduated, he found him, so somehow he found a job at Ruby Spears and he was in the anima animation department. He was doing cleanup or something. And I was griping to him one day about how I was having such a hard time um, with a freelance illustration career, I was really having a hard time with it because I'm not really much of a, I, at that time, there was the only way to get a job was to call people and spend money on gasoline and drop off your portfolio at some company and come back and pick it up a week. You know, I mean, it was a mess. It was it was, it was pre-computer pre days. So pre you, didn't, days. you didn't have a website that you could just email no somebody way. and say, hey, go to my website and see my no. artwork. Yeah. No. Couldn't do that. Yeah. It was all, I mean, you got on your burrow and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> made the three-day trip to Los Angeles from, uh, from San Diego. Anyway, I was talking to Steve one day and he said, you know, you got to talk to this guy. His name is Eric Simonis and he's, a really nice guy and he's our backgrounds guy and you know you might want to think about that I and mean, it was just sort of an offhand thing and and just because there was nothing else to do because I had nothing to lose I called this guy Eric and he said well come on up and show me your, your portfolio and you know we'll talk and I'm telling you he was the most gracious man so kind and so open. He spent his entire lunch period, you know, with me, who he had never met before. He didn't know me from Adam. Spent the entire lunch time with me and he showed me backgrounds and he showed me layouts. And he looked at my portfolio and he said, you know, this is a really nice portfolio, but it doesn't look anything like backgrounds. And he gave me uh, he, he Xeroxed some, some layouts and some of his painted backgrounds from those layouts. And he said, here, take these home. And if you do things that look like this, then you'll have more of a background that looks like, you know, background, or you'll have a portfolio that looks more like background paintings. 
And I really took his advice to heart and I went home and I, it took me a year, but I basically redid my whole portfolio from stem to stern. And I decided, because I had decided I really needed, I needed a job that I went to every day. I did not want to deal with all this um, hyping myself and all this running around. And I, I just wanted to go to a job and come home every day and somebody pay me for it. And this whole background thing, you know, which I had never heard of in my life before, sounded reasonable. So I, I redid my whole portfolio. And I, uh, at the end of that year, I went around to all the different studios. And like I said, there was a gal at, at H&B who had just gone out on maternity leave and they needed to replace her with somebody for two months. It was a two-month job. Wow. And Al hired me. And he was so, I'm telling you, I, my entry into background painting or, well, yeah, into, into the animation business, into background painting was one lucky strike after another. I just fell backwards into it. And it was such a good match, a really, really good match because I'm not really a um, sort of a kingmaker type, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a. Uh, I, well, let me put it this way. I am definitely a team player. I like being on a team. I like being on a, um, you know, a, a bigger project than I can handle myself, but I like being part of it. And so this was a really, really good match for me. And I loved the people that I worked with. I had great bosses. I, I just, I just loved it. And you know, I, the one thing I was going to mention as you were talking here is that you you talked to a person at Ruby Spears and then you wound mm-hmm. up getting hired yes. over at uh, Hanna-Barbera. Uh, yeah. but, but really, there were only like three big studios for Saturday morning cartoons in town. There was Hanna-Barbera, there was Ruby Spears, and there was Filmation. Yes. And there was a couple other little boutique studios that were doing commercials and things like that. And then, of course, there was Disney. Um, uh, where there was, and that was the only shop really doing uh, feature animation at the time. Yeah, um, and and that was a kind of a closed ecosystem for the most part, uh, because people that were working there had been working there for years. And there wasn't too many spots yeah. that opened up, but you were right. It was in the depths of the animation industry at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There had been a big strike. A lot of work had yeah. gone overseas yes. to the Pacific Rim. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, kind of thin uh, as far as studios. Nothing like it is today with nothing like it is animation today. studios, right? You know? Well, so. not only that, but the art schools, all of the art schools have huge animation department. You know, it's like an entire discipline now. Yeah. Animation. Whereas when I was in school, it was not even, like I say, it was not even on the radar. Nobody well, in, 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 in Los Angeles, you had your choice between uh, Art Center or uh, California Institute of the Arts, Cal Arts. Yes. Th- mm-hmm. Those were sort of the two places yes. that if you ran into people in the animation industry, they either had gone to Cal Arts or they had gone to um, 
uh, art center in Pasadena. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. there was always the con the Canadian contingent. Uh, yes. Who, who uh -huh. came yeah. from Sheridan College uh, yes. up in Toronto. There were some also from the East Coast. There was the Rhode Island, you know, the RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There were those people. Yeah. Few but but, but, but few, few and far between, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, the yeah. odd person from the School of Visual Arts in New York City or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you you're painting backgrounds at Hanna Barbera, and uh -huh. really, like like I said earlier, that that was kind of a uh, boot camp, uh, so to speak, that gave you street cred. It, yeah, it was a boot it was boot camp. I say that because it was <clears throat> the 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 space, the actual space, was pretty small, and you know, layout was right down the hall. Um, the, Xer the Xerox yes. department was, you know, just right around the corner. Um, everybody that I needed to talk, if I had a question on a layout, all I had to do was walk down the hallway, you know, and, and talk to the guy who did it. Or, um, I don't know, it was just, it was a way of, you, you kind of got thrown into the deep end and you learned the entire um, production process by just by osmosis and just by also by just by sheer um, necessity. I really learned the process of, of um, animation, of course, of 2D animation, um, which came in handy when, uh, you know, later on when when I came to Disney. Because because at, at Disney, when I when I did come to Disney, which was a couple of years later, um, you know, Disney was a different animal. It was, you know, it's a, it was, it's huge, huge company and departments tended to not kind of mix a whole lot. You know, like if you had a question on a layout, you would go to your supervisor, your department supervisor, yeah. and that person would go find out. So I, you know, it, and it was just a little bit more, um, insular, the departments were a little more insular at Disney. And, and, and it was a different way of doing uh, the, I mean, Disney has their own animation process that, that was different from other studios. And, mm -hmm. uh, and also you had the luxury of a little bit more time. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, yes. But that was another reason that I, I am so glad that I started at, at Hanna-Barbera or at a TV studio because those kinds of deadlines really got you um, in shape for, <laughs> yeah. for, you know, you do a whole lot of editing in your head before you even put a stroke down on the paper. No, without, without question. And uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, working under those uh, heavy duty um, deadlines actually instills a bit of a work ethic in you. Uh, Definitely. Right, right, right mm -hmm. off, right off the bat, that yeah. you know, you're you're constantly striving to get something done in a reasonable amount of time. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we were working on, because uh, you came, you came into Disney on the Little Mermaid. Yes. Yeah, uh -huh. and uh, and so there there was a little bit more time uh, to spend on painting backgrounds. I mean, just mm -hmm. just to give our listeners a, 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 a just sort of a sense, how many background paintings would you have done at Hanna Barbera in a week compared to uh, how many backgrounds you did when you got to Disney on the Little Mermaid? Um, probably, I probably probably the pace was about three to one. I would say. So you do, Easily. You, you, you would Easily. do one, four to one. 
how many backgrounds in one week would you paint at Hanna-Barbera on average? Probably three. Three. At Disney one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that just really shows, I think, the um, uh, so the the more time you have on a feature, and also the quality that's going into it. Mm-hmm. Because, Definitely. Because the the Saturday morning uh, backgrounds are less detailed and and broader. Uh, uh, oh, Paintings for the most part. Whereas, Definitely, when, yeah. but when you do a background, uh, a Disney background, uh, you've got a lot more detail, but you're also spotlighting where the characters are going to be and things like that. That's one thing that I really did really like too, because when you got to lay out at Disney or any of the you know major studios, um, you had all the information that you needed for that scene. So the layout contained not only just the layout and, and, you know, for the listeners, a layout is basically a line drawing and, um, and you, you trace that down on a board and paint it up. But, uh, but the layout is much more than just the drawing. The layout gives you uh, the footage of that scene um, it gives you a, if there's a camera move on it, it will give you the start and the finish uh, frames. And it'll also tell you how much time, um, for instance, how much time this, it, it, uh, uh, the camera will stay at the start before it starts moving. Um, it gives you the characters, the placement of the characters, where they start and where they finish. Um, let's see what else it, and, 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 yeah, and, and just for the listeners, I mean, it's uh, uh, it's literally a drawing of uh, key poses of the character. Yes. Um, uh, yes. Where they're going to be throughout the scene on that yes. background. So that yes. you, as the background painter, have a sense of, okay, the camera's going to be here for the bulk of the time. Exactly. I've got to make sure that, you know, I've got enough uh, information on that background. Exactly. And also it gives you um, the, the, the freedom or it, I don't know, I guess, yeah, the freedom, you know, where to like put your money. So if the character is going to be covering up the whole right side of that thing for most of it, then you're not going to spend all that time detailing out whatever, you know, books or candlesticks or whatever it is back there, a grotto you're not going to detail that out. You're going to let that just kind of be, you could paint some of that stuff with the bottom of your shoe and be okay. Um, but then if the camera is going to be, so if the, if the, the characters is, is covering up part of it for most of it, then you just paint out uh, the area that the character will not be covering up. You spend all your time on that area. And, um, and in that way you can um, save time on a background. You don't have to spend two weeks on it. Right. And, and, you know, you, you, again, that's part of the thought process in creating that background painting. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you're doing an establishing shot, you're going to do, it's going to be a killer, detailed, beautiful Mm -hmm. background. I often, I often uh, bring up Bambi. Um, when talking mm-hmm. about backgrounds, because mm-hmm. that's a great example of uh, spotlighting the characters, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, and then letting the background kind of fuzz out, almost kind of fade out a little bit on the periphery. Uh, those those Bambi backgrounds are about as close to sacred as you can get when it comes to 
Disney backgrounds or when it comes to you know any kind of secular artwork. Those things, um, they're, they were just absolutely gorgeous. And of course, you know, they, they had the time to experiment around and a lot of them were painted in oils, which is never, ever, ever going <laughs> to, that would never happen. And they were absolutely gorgeous. Yes, they were. And they also uh, really captured Tyrus Wong's development work for that right. film. Really, yeah. really captured that the, the real emotional um, uh, feeling of those backgrounds. You know, it, it was really moody and um, just absolutely gorgeous, very sparse in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the, the other background film that I often point to, um, uh, is the old mill because that really was, uh, uh, to me, a background picture. Uh, and, uh, it, it was spearheaded by Claude Coates, uh, and, uh, it, it to me evokes such mood and emotion. Uh, he was, I think, one of the first uh, what what I would call a background picture. You know, it definitely is. You know, I never thought of that before, but I think you're right because up until then, it was uh, definitely character driven for sure. Characters yeah. were, yeah, and the backgrounds were sort of like just oh, they're just backgrounds. <laughs> But But, but yeah, the old mill, I think that's part of the, um, definitely part of the the charm and the allure of that film is just how gorgeous it is. It's just so, so, uh, it just captures you. It's just, it's It's rich, you know, it's rich, it's lush, it's detailed. Um, You know, it really does um, uh, bring out uh, a a sort of, uh, it evokes an emotional response uh, when you look at uh, some of those scenes. Yes, yes, it definitely does in a way that uh, Steamboat Willie would not do ever. Right, right, exactly, you know. But um, you you moved up the up the ranks, I think, fairly quickly once you got to Disney, because um, after The Little Mermaid, you worked on Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. Aladdin, and then you became the background supervisor on Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. So, so ha- t- talk us through some of those pictures and how you kind of moved up. Uh, uh, in well, the uh, so I guess... Um, I think, you know, I just felt like I had been on a couple of films and I absolutely adored my job. I loved my job so much. I just, I couldn't, I could not love my job more. I just, I had such a good time there. And I, like I say, you know, it was a, a good group of people. I mean, there was, was a great, a great group. group of, yeah. Great group of people. We had a great little department and the whole crew. I mean, the whole crew was just fun. We were there on Flower Street at the time, which was uh, at a time when Disney Features was still pretty small. And, you know, you could see, um, I don't know, bump into Peter Schneider in the hallway and have a little chat. Um, But I had been there for, you know, on several films. And I don't know what got some kind of little bee out of my bonnet. And I thought, you know, I could, I could, maybe I could run this zoo. Maybe I could do this. And uh, so I just, I decided I, you know, I knew Pocahontas was coming up. It was something, it was a, a, a project that intrigued me. And I um, did some 
development work on my own and I showed it to um, my Gabriel who was uh, one of the directors one of the directors yeah. and Mike Jama who was the art director yeah. and um, I just kind of kept on feeding them work now and then you know and um, I, I was just kind of stunned when they asked me to um, head up the department and I was very happy to do so. I was just thrilled and it just kind of it worked out really well. I, uh, I knew, I knew everything on, on that film. I was up to date. I was current on every single thing that happened in every single scene. Like I could tell you the sequence and scene number of yeah. anything in that film. That's always, always the way, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah. seared, it's yeah. seared into <laughs> your brain. Um, yeah. When when you were doing some of the early stuff that you were feeding to Mike Giamo and Mike Gabriel, um, were you uh, uh, referencing uh, the J.C. Leyendecker uh, and and uh, uh, had that come into play at that point? Yeah, no, and, and no. I, I I just wanted to say to the listeners that oftentimes on a film. Um, the artists will gravitate towards a particular style or, or an artist uh, that influences or inspires them uh, for creating the look of a picture. And for Pocahontas, it ultimately boiled down to J.C. Leyendecker, who was an illustrator back in the Art Deco 1920s, 30s uh, period, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. when did that come in? Yeah, uh, I did not even know that Lion Decker existed. You know, oh, well, in 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 the Pocahontas world, I didn't know that they had been looking at him. I had no idea who they were looking at. Oh. I, no idea. I just did some stuff on my own. I just did some stuff on my own. It was, wow. yeah, it was just my own stuff. You know, like a little yeah. um, a little kid uh, sitting in the middle of a river, um, dangling his foot in it and um what else did i oh god I, 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 there are probably three or four larger ish paintings and a couple of smaller ones um uh, just basically um things that i thought would look like backgrounds you know and for, and for pocahontas for pocahontas, though, for pocahontas right? yeah yeah and and i would throw in a character here or there just kind of really small yeah but because <laughs> i'm not i'm not a character animator i'm not an animator i have no you know i'm, I'm not a portraitist and yeah. uh, i'm a I, you know i i like landscapes and all that so uh, so i so that was another reason why backgrounds and i were friendly to each other uh, so anyway, yeah, I just did a couple of things on my own. And um, I learned later that Leindecker was one of their uh, resources. Um, and I think you're right, though. But a lot of people were like, Leindecker? Who's Leindecker? But mm -hmm. but there's all these great artists that had specific styles from the, from the teens and the mm -hmm. 20s and the 30s, you know. And you can see it. You yeah. can see it in... In film history, you can see it in yeah. Disney history who they were looking at as sure. as reference. You know, if it was yeah. Arthur Rackham or Tennyson or Tanniel or um, 
you know, like even on the early films like Snow White and Pinocchio and yes. Uh, yes. Fantasia, I mean, you you do have that sort of European book illustration exactly. look to yes. it. Whereas mm-hmm. when you get to 1950 and Cinderella, you start to get into that more graphic look mm-hmm. that um, uh, where animation was starting to go towards the UPA style mm-hmm. and all of that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I always find that fascinating because one of the things I always love about Disney films or the Disney animated features is that each one had its own style, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Disney, mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so no matter what your source material is, it always kind of evolves into its own little style. Correct. Yeah. yeah. You're not, you're not copying those people. You're, right. you're being inspired by them and mm-hmm. you're sort of taking uh, inspiration to create the look that you're going for, for a picture. And certainly Pocahontas has a really specific look. Uh, uh, and, uh, and if you look at Pocahontas and you look at Frozen, you can see some similarities there. Uh, and again, same art director on both of those. Pictures. Art director. Mm-hmm. So he loves his magentas. <laughs> <laughs> he does, doesn't he? He's a wonderful man. <laughs> wonderful man. I, I learned more. Here's another thing. Yeah. Mike Jamo. I learned more from him uh, artistically Working on Pocahontas, that the however long it was, year two years, close to three years, I think I was on. Yeah, I yeah. more from him than I did at Art Center than I did at school from all of my teachers. I learned more about um, how to design a page and the. And I learned more about color relationships too. And color really, styling. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, he, and, and he's a, he's such a great teacher too, isn't he? I mean, Mike he's is. He, he's he's just got that disposition where he can really uh, bring people along. He's a good communicator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really is. So when you were working in backgrounds at Disney, I, I have to say, uh, you were there for Little Mermaid, Rescuers Down Under, and Beauty and the Beast. You overlapped, I think, with Jim Coleman. So you knew Jim, yes. didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because Jim yes. was. Jim was kind of transitioning. Jim was the background supervisor, I think, through Black Cauldron. And then after Black Cauldron, he wanted to just be a background painter. And he transitioned Mm -hmm. out of the studio into his uh, fine art. uh, Yes. uh, Mm -hmm. The fine art painting that he's known for now. Yeah. Um, But there was really, I think, a, a really great group of artists in the background department during those years, wasn't there? They're, they're, they were excellent. Uh, you know, I think at some point, everybody at Disney has this, what am I doing here moment? Sure, yeah. You know, like, what? Wait, any second they're going to learn that I'm a no-talent hack. But there's such a support group there. There's, it's uh, like you really, really had to try very, very hard to fail there. Mm-hmm. Because you had nothing but support and good people, good people really wanting you to do your best. And um, it it was just a a very, very positive environment. Uh, Everybody knew each other. Um, It was very family-like, like like we were all siblings and you'd have like little spats here and there. And then everybody would make up and they'd be kissing, you know, kissing makeup again. 
um, I, you know, I've all, I've often thought that it, there would be a great book. There's a really good book in there somewhere about the background painting department because there was, a, we had the one guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say there's a good book in each department. I there think. is, there is <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had uh, we had one guy who was always practicing his golf swing. I don't know when he painted because he was practicing his golf swing so much. And then we had another guy who always took a nap in the middle of the day under his desk. Oh, you know something? There was a number of people that did that. Phil Nibblink was uh, was an animator uh, at the studio uh, during those years. Or I remember that name. I don't remember. Yeah, you know what? I think he had left uh, by the time you got there, but uh, Phil uh, Phil w- was known for taking a nap uh, during lunch, uh, and he would just crawl under his desk, and he'd take mm-hmm. like a 20, 30-minute nap. Uh, and there's plenty of room under those desks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, no, they, they were, but, but that was, it was true though. But, but I mean, there was some really, I think some uh, amazing artists uh, throughout the, the, all the different disciplines, but you know, you touched on something, you mentioned something, and I think I want to dwell on it for a second as an artist, every, every single artist has gone through those moments of I'm a fraud they're going to find out soon and fire me, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I don't think I've uh, ever met an artist who hasn't had that kind of a feeling. It's it's natural. It's it's a natural thing, but you kind of work through it, you know, and you do produce good work. Yes. You, it's just a cyclical thing. I think, I think, or I don't even know if it's cyclical. I think it happens. You, you know, you, you kind of get into that spot and then, and then, you know, you've got, for one thing, you've got bills to pay and things like that. So you have to work. It's not like you have an option there. So you do get through it. And, you know, maybe that background wasn't all that bad after all. And uh, I think it's just something that you know, that artists do because, um, you know, we're so driven by um, esoteric things, you know, and everything has to it's, it's, uh, it has to look good. It's, it's not, it's not easily definable. It's not mathematics. No, it's not, it's not that we're trying to create something that is greater than the parts of, you know, greater than its parts and something that's maybe a little transcendent. And so you try, you know, that's the goal. And of course, perfection is the goal. You're not going to get there, but it's the goal. You got to have a goal. And, and so it's, you know, when you, when you create something that you can, you know, where all the bodies are buried and you can point to a hundred places in that background that you wish you could have changed, but you're the only one who knows that stuff. Right. Absolutely. You're the only one who knows that. And, um, I think, you know, you can kind of get carried away with that. Uh, you know, this background has so many problems with it and, uh, you you can kind of get carried away with that, but I think, um, you know, I mean, well, there are ways of getting around that. You you just get, like you say, you just work through it and, yeah, and, and, and you, you know something. Yeah, you realize yeah. that everybody's going through the same thing too. So everybody, everybody does go through that, and I and I think that's something that's it's important to re- recognize and and and, and to uh, confront. 
you know, yeah. Because, yeah. because, you know, we've all had these fabulous careers um, uh, since getting into the business and you just keep moving forward. And yes, there's always going to be that scene that you did in a movie that you see from time to time and say, oh, I wish I had just cringe. whatever or yeah. I wish I had changed that or I wish that I wasn't so rushed to get that done you know yes. um uh but it is what it is you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh and I think that you you just improve from picture to picture to picture or project to project yeah yeah what what do you remember what do you remember most about that period of uh little mermaid through pocahontas uh because it really was sort of an explosion within it's it, it you know you look to that and it, it's, it's sort of the nucleus of the renaissance of disney animation mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh really taking off again and and yes you mentioned we were at flower street and just again a lot of a lot of our listeners um uh, uh, think of Disney animation being on the storied uh, Disney studio lot in Burbank, mm-hmm. which is where mm-hmm. I started. Mm-hmm. But by the time we got to Little Mermaid, we had already been uh, moved off of the studio lot to Glendale, a couple miles down the road from the studio, into a um, uh, one-story sort of warehouse-like building. Mm-hmm. Um at, I think there might have been 150 or 170 of us in, and uh, yeah. and it was it was sort of like almost the demise of Disney animation. And fortunately, it wasn't. It was the rebirth yeah. of it. Yes, strangely, it was because I don't know if you remember, or I don't even know if uh, you effects artists uh, had these conversations. Uh, but in background department, you know, there was kind of some grumbling, a little bit of grumbling about the, the digs that we were in, you know, the conditions of this place, because it was clearly a repurposed warehouse. Um, you know, the, it could have used the coat of paint, it could have used, you know, a hundred things to, to improve it. But, um, uh, and it, and then, and then at some point, there were they announced plans to build this big, fabulous um, building on the main lot for all the executives. Yes. And <laughs> I remember that because, because all the lawyers were going to go in there, you know, all these, uh, uh, anybody who was not an artist got this big, you know, splashy office and stuff. And we were just in shock. We were just in shock. We couldn't believe our eyes, you know, when that came out in the paper. And anyway, it wasn't long after that, that we were, you know, we were moving into another great big building of our own. But yeah, yeah, I I do kind of, you know, they were, it was cramped. It was small. um, It was, they did, you know, they really made it. I mean, they made it to make it more um, livable, uh, livable, yeah, yeah, more livable, yeah. Um, which is rel- which still- is relative, which is all relative, totally relative. <laughs> um, but there were definitely, I still had. There was a whole phase that I went through on Pocahontas where I, uh, my office somehow, I don't know, there was something about the the wiring in that building where my office would just blink out. I would just like lose all my 
my lights would go out, everything would go out. I would have to go charging over to color models. And there was like this little reset button behind somebody's, I don't know, cube or something. I had to push that reset button, you know, for 30 <laughs> seconds, then go trundling all the way back to my office and my, my lights would be back on again. But if that was the kind of place that we worked at. That was the kind of conditions we were in. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 yeah. and, um, and, and but, by the way, I, I was just going to say, by the way, uh, Christy, you were, you were in really nice conditions because you were in the warehouse uh, that was converted to offices. The effects department was in trailers in the WDI, the, the Imagineering parking lot. We were in trailers. Uh, so <laughs> so I, I, we were envious of you guys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, everything is relative, isn't it? <laughs> and then there's also that whole other whole topic of anybody who is not an animator, all the departments that were not animation felt like the bastard child yes. of animation. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Oh, always. Yeah. The, it was always the case. You know? Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I think though, as soon as they moved us off the studio lot in Burbank, out of the out of the original animation building, uh, into that warehouse, it was sort of like we were out of sight, out of mind, and it allowed us to create all those great pictures. Because I've often of said that I have often yeah. said that about Florida as well. Yeah, yeah. They were out did of you, sight. Out did of you mind. ever work in the Florida studio? Did you ever go down there? Uh, well, they helped us out on Pocahontas and also, um, uh, so I did go there. Yeah, like for I, a few I weeks or something, right? Yeah, I went there yeah. for a couple of weeks um, and just loved it. Man, that was that was a real magical little spot. What, what, once and you then got I over the fishbowl. Once you got past yeah, the fishbowl yeah, fish had it. been yeah. the, the fishbowl had been shut down by the time oh, I got okay good yeah good. It, I, the fishbowl didn't last for too long yeah. and for people who are listening the fishbowl refers to the fact that the the Florida Animation Studio was actually an attraction at Walt Disney World because on one whole wall. It was, it was just, it was glass. It was like a really, really super, super thick, uh, probably a plexiglass or something. And people could walk by, um, you know, people, visitors to the park could walk by and look in and see how the animation process was happening. And they could see animators animating. They could see background painters painting. They could see um, uh, color models doing their thing. And they could see uh, cleanup doing their thing. And um, it was it was really great for the visitors to be able to see that, but the artists themselves were not exactly happy with it. <laughs> Al John, I know you that, saw it, didn't you? Oh, I love that was one of my favorite parts. My wife and I love that. <laughs> yes, you know, but I can. Yeah, I can yeah, only it imagine. would be really great because yeah. otherwise you can't see it. You can't see that stuff happen. Ooh. You won't. You wouldn't. You have no idea. No, I love it. But um, I know that uh, the the background. In the background department, I don't know about other departments, but they would always stick the the trainees over by the by the by the glass wall because um, nobody else wanted to be there. You know, yeah. it was just it's very you know you got somebody looking over your shoulder, literally strangers looking over your shoulder all day yeah. long. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, but yeah, I and I went over there to Florida one more time on. The uh, the final film that was never produced there called My Peoples, 
and but they were go I let's see they that was their project and I was going to head up a small department out here in California to help them out mm -hmm. on a couple of sequences so I went over there and yeah, my my people's uh, uh, for for listeners uh, was a feature film that was really about a group of folk art characters that come to yes. life, uh, mm -hmm. and it was sort of a uh, Ozark bluegrass kind mm -hmm. of uh, vibe to it uh, mm -hmm. that uh, Barry Cook was uh, uh, yes. attached to as the director. I don't know who else yeah. was. Uh, was there another director? Was it just Barry? I can't remember. I I, I can't remember. Yeah. I can't say. I do yeah. remember Barry. I don't. If there was another one, I don't. Yeah, remember. but it was it was in development, and it was a uh, I think a victim of them closing the studio down. They just definitely and then closed the studio. Dolly Parton had written some beautiful songs for that film. Yeah, gorgeous yeah. songs. That's right. Yeah. Wow, I would I I remember seeing a lot of visual development on that uh, picture, and I really was looking forward to actually seeing mm -hmm. that movie. And I was mm -hmm. really sad that it never got made. Yeah, uh, I thought it would have been a gr a great film. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Maybe they'll resurrect it someday. Maybe you never yeah. know. You know, Little Mermaid started out in about 1942 or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They finally was, uh, got released in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and and also um, uh, the um, uh, Snow Queen was developed in the 40s as well. Yes, and yes. Eventually became Frozen. Yes. So, uh -huh. you know, mm -hmm. yeah, there's always hope that some of these pictures yes, will be is, yes. dug out of the archives and and actually yeah. resurrected. Yeah. Um, what are you, what are your uh, uh, fond memories of um, working on backgrounds and 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 by the way you're still working uh, I mean you've mm -hmm. worked on uh, Enchanted you worked on Home on the Range Curious George Hotel Transylvania Cloudy with Meatballs mm -hmm. uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too uh, mm -hmm. you've you've art directed I I mm -hmm. actually hired you to art direct on uh, the cat that looked at a king for That's the fortieth fortieth anniversary of yes. uh, Mary Poppins DVD yes. uh -huh. so uh -huh. um, and, and we're working together right now on a, a project we won't talk about it but uh, Christy and I work from time to time actually Christy doesn't live very far from me so um, post uh, or pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic we do get together for an occasional glass of wine here and there you're such a so. tease I, Dave I, I rope you into that and it's real <laughs> easy to rope you into that yeah, uh, yeah. You, 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 all you have to do is the wine and I'm, I, I'm there. I, I don't have to twist any arms at all. Well, yeah, I remember, well, remember that one time I, I sent you an invoice and it said one bottle of quality red wine. That was my whole invoice. That was her. Yeah, it was because she yeah. did, she did some little thing for me that yeah. didn't, took her like ten minutes to do it, but, but 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 she could do it and I couldn't and uh, and uh, and I'm and I made good on that. We had a very yes, good did. bottle. Of, we had you a did. very good bottle of wine, if I recall. I think it yes, was a, a Stag's Leaf. Uh, yes. It, yes. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. Yes. That's all yes. you had to say. I'm like, wow, Dave. Nice. You didn't get the bottom box this time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, but you know, that that's really what the, uh, the, the industry is like. It is like one big family because it is. And it is you, you can much. contact people and get together with them pretty easily uh, in the area. Uh, and everybody helps one another out. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever, reached out to Christy uh, with something that I wanted to have her work on uh, where she said, no, I don't have time or I can't do that. She's always said yes to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I that's always true. Make, yeah. Always you always make time for me, Dave. Yeah. There you go. So uh, I feel fortunate because uh, you are a tremendous talent, I have to say. And oh, I okay. love your painting style. I really love it. Um, and, and by the way, people can see your paintings or some some of your paintings on your website, right? Mm -hmm. what, yes. What, what your is it christymaltese.com? christymaltese.com. And if you uh, just kind of type that in, make sure you don't throw an H in my name because it won't work. There you go. All right. C-R-I-S-T-Y, Maltese. <clears throat> I don't know why my parents did that to me, but they did. I've hey, been spelling think, my name since I, I think it's. Speak. I think it's great. And Al John, Al John's going to add that to our show notes uh, for people because I would encourage folks to actually check out uh, her website because she does have a really nice range of, of paintings uh, in her gallery there. Uh, yeah, I need to update that a little bit with some more of my uh, my more current stuff, but yeah. and I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. So, you know, getting back to the background painting, uh, I know you you have done a lot of different uh, jobs over the years and you do a lot of visual development work now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between doing background paintings and actually doing visual development on a project and why yeah. you like that better? Um, well, I, mm, I'm not sure I like it better. I would say I like it just as much. Uh, yeah, I, I would say I like it just as much because it's very creative. I, I would say it's a, probably a little, yes, definitely more creative because, uh, okay. So a background, like I was talking about before, has a layout. You, you are very restricted to what is going to be painted. You know, you have definitely, um, you know, a, it, it, it's laid out for you, literally laid out for you. So you've got a drawing and you got to stick to that. But with, with development, you um, either, you know, depending on where the, the, the project is, you can just blue sky it or you can, um, you know, if, if you need to research something or, or use some source material that is more, more developed than, than, um, then you can use that to, you know, you can, I guess what I'm saying is you can be as creative as you want, or um, sometimes you have to kind of stick to something that's already been designed. But but with um, development, I would say one of the one of the biggest differences too is that you not you don't have to tie everything down. You know, with a background, a little you, it's a little looser, right? It, it's it's a looser. looser. It's definitely looser. You're, you're, experiment, you're experimenting. The experimentation is the real fun part because you can experiment with color relationships and um, moods and, um, you know, just placement, um, styles, different styles, you know, uh, monochromatic maybe, you know, uh, fully, fully or full color. 
Um, you can do any kind of, you know, more of a cartoony style. I, was, I would say cartoony, like, uh, you know, big heads, big eyes and things like that. Or, um, you know, something a little bit more um, naturalistic. Um, but it's, it is a different, it is a completely different thing. And the sizes too are, are much different. You know, uh, lots of development stuff is very small. Mm-hmm. It's real small. And it's also just sort of like dashing off an idea, just getting something down there. Um, just capturing a, a, a momentary spark, um, whereas background, the background painting is, is, is that's a whole different thing. And the, the style has already been established. And it's been you, established. You're, you're being handed a drawing that you transfer yes. to an illustration board or in, in yeah, the case was, of yeah, digital which, painting, which, you're, you're, right. you're, you're taking a scan of that into your system and mm-hmm. you start painting digitally, but, but, but it's already been established and we're in visual development. You're the person establishing the look. Yes. Yes. Theoretically, yeah, yeah. So there are probably, you know, there, there are several, uh, several artists that do, that will be doing some development work on any one project. And, and it's just sort of the combination of elements from this person and elements from that painting over there from somebody else and another person and another person. And you, you just sort of like uh, the director will be picking out parts of different people's work and, that, you know, sort of kind of helps to focus down on what the actual style will end up being. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, color scripts. And this is something that I'd like you to explain to the listeners mm-hmm. what it is. And do you do it on every picture? Um, go ahead. It, yeah. Okay. So a color script is the visual equivalent of a written script. It is, is a visual interpretation of the script. Um, so a, a color script will take little, you, you paint up little, little, just, just little frames, little, um, thumbnails of what the film would look like, like the final frame of film would look like. And you do a whole bunch of these for each sequence. And sometimes you even break them down further. If there's, if there's some kind of, um, you know, really important um, action within a sequence, then you'll, you can always break it down further, like a sub menu to a sub menu to a sub menu, but it's a way of looking at a film without actually making the film. So it's a way of seeing what these uh, final frames look like Um, And you can make all of your mistakes at this point. You can make all of the visual mistakes you want to, and they are so easy to fix at that point because you just, you you make those adjustments and that saves you time and money down the line by, you know, you don't have to redo animation. You don't have to redo, you know, whole sequences of of, of films, which we have done before. Don't tell anybody what has (laughs) happened. Um, a but it is, for, yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say. I mean, it, 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 it's a uh, essentially a, a, a uh, using color. When you look, when I look at a color script for a film, I can see the palette changing. You know, yes. from say cool to warm, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, you can see the palette uh, go to a very um, hot 
point where the climax of the movie is happening. Yeah, and that's that is the beauty of these little color scripts is because you can actually see how much time is spent at that climax. You know, is it is, are we like dragging this whole thing out too long? <clears throat> are we not spending enough time on it? Uh, is it is it the right hot pink? Is hot pink the right color for this for this moment in the film? Maybe we should change it to an icy blue. Um, so that's what the color script is really, really good for. It, it shows you the entire film without having to actually do the animation and go through where, you know, spend $40 million on something that you're just going to redo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also it's, it's also um, the color scripts are always to me, to my eye, more, energetic and more fascinating than you know the, the finished product what you see on screen has has been pasteurized and homogenized and and evened out you know it, it's just a it's it's a it's an artifact of the process and but the color script can be much more charged you know it's just more um yeah it's more energized i would say um, funner to look at to me. To me I, I think they're beautiful pieces of art, actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, and now, John, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think down in Orlando at the Art of Animation Resort, uh, I think there's an example of a color script on a wall um, uh, down in, I think, the main lobby of that uh, resort. Yep. Yep. You're right. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Do you know so, which one it is? Do, you, do you, you know, remember? Gosh, I cannot remember uh, what it was from, but um, the Art of Animation Resort uh, uses, uh, it, it's like four hotels with one uh, like main building, if you will. And I think they use the Lion King, Finding Nemo, Cars, and... Mermaid. Mermaid. Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid, thank you. Um, and so I, I don't recall what that color script, if it was from a Pixar film or a Disney animation film, I'm not sure. I could probably eliminate Mermaid. Because there was no color script? There was not a color script. Yeah. There was okay. not in not not a mature color script yeah. the way yeah. that, we're, that we... That we the, the way we visualize them, yeah, the way yeah. we view them now, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and by the way, if the listeners want to see what a color script looks like, I think you can Google it, uh, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, and there's probably some examples uh, uh, on. I've got a few on my on my site too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, you can just Google color script and yeah. you, know, may, you know, it may be a color script from uh, F- Finding Nemo. I'm not sure. I'm not so, really 100% so sure. So they actually have color scripts, I think, of, oh gosh, I want to say it is uh, Finding Nemo, just looking at the different different photos of the lo- lobby. Yeah, so it is yeah. probably Finding Nemo. I okay. I think yeah. it's Finding Nemo, but uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool how... 
you can see is Christy, you were talking about the different the different colors as it, it pertains to the different scenes of, of a particular film, you know. So it's a mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, you can see if it's warm or if it's cold. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Very yeah. Somebody should somebody should do a book on color scripts and, and just literally yeah, Dave. I know really put put a book together. I'm giving away ideas here. Uh put a book together on uh just the color scripts from all the Disney animated films that had color scripts. Uh, I think that would be kind of interesting, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, really just a visually uh, uh, fun book to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, what do you, what are some of your favorite backgrounds uh, uh, just as a, uh, a fan of, of being, a, a, you know, of, of well-painted backgrounds? Uh, any background out of Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That is my, that is for me, that is the pinnacle of, of design and color and mm. oh gosh, it is just the, to me, it's the most beautiful film, the most beautiful. And of course that was Ivan Earl. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a, there's one scene where they're in the glade. They've just met uh, Aurora and the prince have, have met and of course, they instantly fall in love and they, they start dancing. And then she says, what's your name? <laughs> or he says, what's your name? And one of them says, hey, by the way, what's your name? But it, when they start dancing, it's a long shot. It's an establishing shot and they're dancing along and they're reflected in the, in the, the stream beneath yeah. them. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Gorgeous. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just the most beautiful six seconds of film I think ever made. Mm. It is just absolutely luscious. And um, so, yeah, I would say Sleeping Beauty. I, and I, I know, you know, the Bambi backgrounds, of course, were absolutely incredible too, as, as was uh, Pinocchio. Oh yeah. I mean, the, um, Pinocchio, the Pinocchio, you know, Geppetto's uh, workbench, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. they're just yeah. absolutely yeah. stunning. Claude yeah. Coates at it, yes. I think at, at his height, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as mm-hmm. a background painter, I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but still I say, I say Sleeping Beauty wins out. That's, for me, that's the one. I, th- I think that's great. I mean, everybody, uh, everybody has uh, their own favorites, uh, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. that's what that's what's so wonderful about it all, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. what are you doing now, uh, aside from working with me occasionally? Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, whatever you can talk about, I think is great. So just, yeah, a couple of months ago, um, I finally. Uh, well, for the last several years, I've been working on a project. I don't know if I can talk about it. I think I can. Well, don't. If, if you can't, I yeah. mean, you know. So I've been working on an unnamed project for several, several years now. Oh, that's an awesome. An unnameable project for several okay. years. And uh, just a couple of months ago, um, uh, we broke for, I'm not sure how long I have left, but I have at least another couple of months before it picks up again. And so in that time, um, I'm just going back to what I've been picking up in the last, you know, on my own in the last couple of years, which is just my own uh, landscape paintings. And I also have gotten well into iconography, Uh, which is, you know, just like, you know, the saint with a halo. And I I knew, uh, like, for a long time, I always wanted to learn how to paint with egg tempera which is an ancient ancient medium and um 
I was just, uh, I, I noticed this little blurb in the church bulletin one day about uh, this, this guy who was teaching people how to paint icons with egg tempera. And so I went to the meeting and I was just like totally hooked. That was about three years ago. So I've been doing iconography and, and landscape paintings in my spare time. Awesome. And in the end, you know, while when I'm not uh, chained to my computer doing uh, doing doing uh, development work. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I have to tell you, though, it, it, it really is amazing in this business that, uh, you know, there was this period of time in the 1990s where all of these artists came together to work on some incredible uh, animated films as part of this renaissance of Disney animation. Yeah. And, uh, and then everybody's kind of gone to the wind, so to speak, to go off and do all these other incredible projects mm-hmm. and work on all these. Uh, and, and, and the difference between when we got into the studio, uh, you know, into the business and now is that there's so many more studios. There's DreamWorks, there's Sony uh, Imageworks, there's, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, Warner's, Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, Universal. Universal. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just goes on and on, yeah. you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's, what's so amazing about the business today is that there's so many places that you can go uh, to get work at uh, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. want to, uh, yeah. as opposed to what it was like 30 or 40 years ago when there was, mm-hmm. you know, you could count on one hand the studios yeah. that, were, you know, you might have a chance of being being able to get a job at, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we were very, I, I, we were lucky. I, yeah. I just feel like I was just... Uh, Right place, right, 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 right place, right time. Right place, right time. Right place, right time. Thank God. Well, this has been uh, fabulous, uh, Christy, chatting with you. I'm so thrilled that you came on to the show. And by the way, I I would say that it was just coincidental. Christy and I were talking before we started started recording the show. Uh, It was very coincidental that it happens to be the first weekend and our first Skull Rock podcast uh, of... um, uh, of the um, uh, Women's History Month, uh, uh, and and, and so it, it's, great, it's, it's great having a woman on for the first uh, first show of of Women's History Month. But it was really just kind of a coincidence, you know. I mean, I I always view uh, you know my colleagues as artists first. Yes, uh, yeah, that, and that's uh, one thing that I really love about this business too. Yeah. is that we're all artists first. Yeah. And, and it's all about it's not not just being an artist it's about your talent and uh and everybody's at different levels and proficient in different areas and uh and and everybody helps one another out and i think that's wonderful so anyway i just wanted to say it, it was just uh thrilling to have you on our show and hear more about how you got into the business and what you've been doing in the business can I say just one more thing? Yes, absolutely. One more Always. thing. Always. Uh, it, it, because <clears throat> for anybody listening or listeners, pay attention to backgrounds because, because they don't just happen. That's one thing that I've, I've um, I, um, I wouldn't say it's my life's uh, you know, mission is to make people aware of backgrounds, but 
Um, backgrounds are only backgrounds. You know, that's my, fir my first boss, Alcamir, used to say that. It's just a background. And he's absolutely 100% correct. But if that background isn't there, you notice something's missing. Like if you're just looking, you, you and I, Dave, we have seen animation just without a background. You saw black or something. And it's it's not a finished piece of work. It has to have the background. So, so when you're watching Little Mermaid or you're watching whatever you're watching, you know, any of them, Cinderella, any, any, any. Uh, animated film, especially from the pre-digital era when backgrounds were actually painted. You know, there is no such thing as a background painting department now. Got eliminated. Um, but when you're watching a film, just pay attention to the backgrounds and know that somebody actually painted that thing with paint and a brush and water and they mixed those colors and they matched colors to other backgrounds around it. And they put the light source in and they, they, they um, focused they, on where the, uh, where the characters were going to be. And they put some time and effort into that thing just so that you, the viewer, could absorb it sort of in a subconscious manner and just kind of process it. And that's the environment that the character is in. And that background painter did that for you. Yeah. And, and that's and, something that people do not, it's not, they aren't supposed to meant to notice these backgrounds. They're not supposed to, but background has to be there. And I just, I just, I'm just sort of like a little advocate for backgrounds in general. So that's know, all so I want to And I think that's great because the one thing I would say to follow up on that is that there are all, all these different components that go into making yes. an animated film Absolutely. and the amount of times people watch some of these films, because you know, we all know that there are, um, uh, you know, the audience out there, people love certain films, you know, they may love the little mermaid or beauty and the beast and they watch it on a regular basis. And some mm -hmm. of them have seen it hundreds of times or 50 times or whatever it is. And I would say that if you're one of those people, the next time you sit down and watch your favorite animated film, watch it through a different lens. Look at the mm -hmm. backgrounds. Yeah. Listen to the musical score. Look at the special effects. Um, you know, all of these things, all these components come together to make these magnificent movies that most people sort of look at in general without ever really thinking about the background or other parts of what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're looking at Ariel or Flounder, or they're looking at Belle and the Beast. Which, which is absolutely what you're supposed to be doing. And absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and so it works in that way. But, but the, the, the whole, that whole final frame, including the music, um, and the dialogue, it's, it is not complete without, if one of those things drops out, you know, you know, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. know. So I, I think those are great parting words. I think people should examine these films uh, more deeply uh, and pay more attention to, to certain aspects when they watch a film. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I think the, I think the backgrounds are amazing because uh, first of all, uh, you're you're involved in Beauty and the Beast and, and Aladdin. Uh, my wife and I's you know respective favorite films: Aladdin for me, Beauty and the Beast for her, and uh, the backgrounds are absolutely amazing. And uh, so, there is one background in Beauty and the Beast that I kind of cheated on. Okay. <laughs> um, which you your wife may be aware of if she has watched it you know a bazillion times she has yeah. but there is a point where um maurice bell's father is lost he gets lost and he's on his horse and he 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 sees a signpost and on the signpost there are some you know names they happen to be valencia newhall and saugus <laughs> and Anaheim because that day I just, I just, uh, you know, I just, just, I wasn't very, I just, I was tired. I couldn't think. Well, so no, I, just, you were, oh, I live in Valencia. You were mis- I can put mis- that there. You were mischievous, you know? Yeah, well, and, and, and when you look at these animated films, there's all kinds of little things that people have thrown in. The artists have put in their names. Yes. The part, yes. Art, you know, so, I yeah. think in, in yeah. Hunchback, they're, they're in one of the big establishing shots of Paris. There's a, a satellite dish and a, yes. a motor home. Care um, of Mike Humphreys. Yeah, you yes. can you can see, uh, I think in that establishing shot, you can see Belle moving through the crowd. Uh, from Beauty and the Beast, you know, there's all these funny little uh, Easter, Easter eggs, eggs uh, yes, as they yes. call them uh, now, yeah. uh, that are are harmless and um, and just sort of fun. And if you know where to look for them, you'll you'll find them. So you know? that that was the perfect segue to what I was going to ask because you know Christy's here and being a a great background artist, so prolific. I wanted to ask. Where are some some other Easter eggs maybe that you and the team may have kind of put in there other than well, that Beauty and the Beast one? Because I, I we knew about that, and that's mm-hmm, awesome. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've got to know. Inquiring minds yeah, got to know. Yeah, you know what? Al John, I wish I could tell you. But the thing is, they're, they're, uh, people don't – like, we didn't really disclose where we were putting these things. Uh-huh. Um, and I know, I know of others which will remain unspoken. Um, uh, yeah, and there. Well, for background painters, if it was going to be something within the frame, then you had to be very, very, very careful about what you were doing yeah. because yeah. At, at some point, you know, it was right, like right after Rescue Mermaid, or maybe during rescuers that um that it turned out that people were going to be watching these things on dvd and they could just like freeze a frame and up until then that was not an issue but yeah if it was outside a frame so there were plenty of guys putting yogi bear outside of over there on the other side of the tree that would never we'll never (laughs) see that that kind of stuff but um uh yeah as far as those as far as those go out um, there really aren't any, there really aren't any that, that, that would be, um, like I just told you about the, the one that was the most blatant one that I've ever put in. And I actually, I didn't even think it would show on screen. And when we saw it in dailies, people giggled and I, I called the art because they saw it and I, I didn't think it was going to be visible or noticeable, but I called the art director and I said, you know, people saw this, so you might want to change it. And they never changed it. I love but, it. Um, I love it. 
Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, those things. Uh, if it showed on screen, then you have to be very, very, very discreet about what you were putting in and just kind of kept it to yourself. Like and, there was and, one guy who would put like the initials of his kids on yeah. license plates and things like that. Yeah. And, and you know something, most of the, I would say 99.9% of these things are harmless uh, and fun little things. If you can find them, uh, you know, the, the one or two sort of questionable ones that have come out over the years uh, were unfortunate uh, and shouldn't, shouldn't mm-hmm. have been in there. But I, I think for the most part, the, the, it's clean, wholesome fun, as I like yes. to call it. Yes. I think some of the coolest, uh, you know, backgrounds, like I said, you know, are in Aladdin and, and Beauty and the Beast. And uh, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for also, supplying some great art from uh you know growing up on saturday morning cartoons you know because because right. yeah, yeah. i think the smurfs the smurfs and the flintstone kids were just uh you know pretty much on, on everybody's mind you know if you grew up in that era like myself uh we definitely mm-hmm. love that stuff so. it, was, it, it was appointment tv on saturday morning Must yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well, Christy, hey, listen, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. I look forward to us being able to uh, crack another wonderful bottle of wine at a local Absolutely. restaurant. Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully in the not too distant future, maybe this summer. Maybe yeah. we'll actually have a summer. Yeah, that would be great. Let's, anyway. let's just plan on that and make it. We'll just make it happen. We will. Thank you again. Thanks for being here. Thank, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It was a real pleasure. Enjoyed it. And it was nice to meet you, Al John. Thank you so much. Skull Rock Podcast, your weekly dose of pixie dust. What an awesome, awesome interview, Dave. I mean, Christy, what, what a, she's a delight. What a delight. Yeah, you know, she she's really fantastic. She's been she's been just a tremendous friend and colleague in the animation business and I've always adored working with her. Uh it it's just um you know, it was terrific. I mean, it was so great to have her on the show. I just love being able to visit with all these people. Um uh, Al John while we're cooped up uh you know, self-isolating in our homes. This is this has been just such a tremendous amount of fun. And absolutely. And you know what the, I love, I absolutely love about this show and the fact that we visit every single week with not only your friends, but I get to also uh, take part is that it just breaks the, the, the doldrums that we're all experiencing um, with these shutdowns. You know, this podcast come, came at a great time, uh, not only for me, but I'm sure for many of our listeners, because it just gives us an opportunity to just break away throw on the headphones, you know, you know, kick this through the, the, the Bluetooth speakers and just listen to, uh, to some great conversation, coffee talk, if you will, Dave, you know, big fan of coffee talk. I love coffee talk. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you and, uh, and I hope it continues. I mean, I, even though people are going to be out and about and getting out of their houses once they're vaccinated, um, I hope people will continue to tune in because we've got an incredible slate of guests coming up. And and I do want to mention just for next week, we have Bob Gurr, the Imagineer, Bob Gurr himself, who's, by the way, going to be 90 this year. Unbelievable. Uh, 
Yeah, and and is is just incredibly spry. You wouldn't know the guy's ninety. You know, he mountain bikes and he goes out and about. He's always doing something. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to having him on the show next week. And Bob is the best. And I've had an opportunity. What an honor to to talk and chat with him several times through my my years of covering Disney events and and just hanging doing special events at Walt Disney World. And Bob is just the best. So I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So th- that was a great tease, Dave. And once again, I encourage everyone, you know, if you're a fan of the show, you just stumbled upon us, please subscribe to our show uh, on your favorite podcast platform and like and share and subscribe to our feed there on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram. We do appreciate that. And uh, visit SkullRockPodcast.com and uh, email Dave or myself. Um, we love getting emails. And we encourage you to just reach out or just DM us on any of those social media platforms. And we'd love to hear from you, Dave, uh, you know, anything else you'd like to add before we kind of sign off for this week? Yeah. You know, I just want to let people know that there is, uh, there are some author signed copies of 3d Disneyland, like you've never seen it before. Uh, and those are available at the old TheOldMillPress.com. You can order a author signed copy. Uh, just wanted to give it a little shameless plug since they just got a whole bunch of new inventory in on the book. And uh, that's about it. I am excited about the, the fact that it's staying lighter out longer. We're going to go to daylight's uh, savings time in a week or two, I think yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. And um, Everything's looking up. People are getting vaccinated. It's uh, the world is going to open up like a flower and bloom. I can't wait. And uh, I'd also like to give us a give a little shout out to our friends at Disney Dorks who allow us to kind of post when new stuff comes uh, comes along. What a great community for Disney uh, fans over at Disney Dorks and also Sorcerer Radio. Um, they're doing a site redesign and uh, they're including us in some of their great uh, podcast uh, um, promotions, which is great. So uh, thank you so much. And Sorcerer Radio, happy birthday. I've been a member of Sorcerer Radio uh, as a DJ with the Disney List and before then the, the WDW Tiki Room now. They've been around, Dave, for 20 years. Wow. Actually, that's amazing. yeah, since 19. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, since, uh, uh, yeah, it's, we're newbie. Well, I, I feel like a newbie to this. You know, we're all newbies. It's it's or great. I am anyway. Well, you know, uh, Source Radio has been the home of so many great um, podcasts and podcast people and pioneers in, in Disney podcasts. From you know the Lou Mangellos of the world to uh, can uh, to uh, uh, to so many people. But that's just one notable person that that had been um, part of the early days of Source Radio. And, and Lou and I are still buddies. So it's great that. Uh, the Sorcerer Radio fans are doing great and uh, promoting our show as well. So thank you so much to the Sorcerer Radio community for 20 yeah, And, years. you know, I, I have to say, Al John, let, let's just take it a step further because there's so many great podcasts out there. The Bancor- Bancroft Brothers That's have a right. podcast. Um, there's LaughingPlace.com. Uh, there's the uh, Tierra Show with Tammy Tucky. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a tremendous amount of really great people um, that, are, that are doing some really good shows. Uh, so uh, certainly seek those those folks out yep absolutely and i'm sure we're going to be um going on those podcasts again to promote this show because i know uh we've been on lynn Barron's show at sweep spot and and so many others but all of those people great people 
So if you love this podcast, not only subscribe and give us those reviews, but also subscribe to our friends as well. They'd love to see you uh, as we build this podcast community. So that's it. All right. Well, have a great week, everybody. Dave, thank you so much. And and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Al John. Right on. Have a great week yourself. And I will see you next week. Take care, everyone. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, the Disney List podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.